We're so scared of ourselves. It's the thing we're the most scared of. It's why we don't do the work because we're fucking scared of what we're going to uncover. We're scared of our own truth and our own knowing because that means we have to face it. And God forbid we see who we really are. It's easier to avoid and distract. I never did what I wanted. I never asked myself, what do you want? What do you feel? It's taken me a long time to get to a point where I can advocate for myself, where I can express myself. And that was my aha moment where I cannot live like this anymore. There has to be something else. Welcome to the Rebel Souls Podcast, where we flip the middle finger to the status quo. I'm your host, Shelly Paxton, lifelong rebel, liberator of souls, and author of Soulbatical, a corporate rebel's guide to finding your best life. Settle in as we dive deep with badass leaders who are rebelling for what matters most in life, business, and the world at large. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get this revolution started. This is a Soulfire production. Hello and welcome back, my fellow rebel souls. Can you believe it's almost the end of 2021? If you're freaking out, I have a reframe for you, for all of us. And by that, I also mean for me. So let's think about it this way. 2020 was the year that shook us with the beginning of this global pandemic. 2021 was the year of the awakening as we all got really clear this year about what matters most to us in all aspects of our lives. And 2022 is going to be the year of the goddamn revolution. Yes, the revolution. And it starts with us. It is the year that every single one of us rewrites our script of success, finally and fully. It's the year that we create our reality, the one we've been dreaming of. Some of you guys, including me too, have made steps toward that. And next year, we're going to make it all happen. And I couldn't think of a better way to bring this home before one final solo episode than to have my friend and soul sister, Kelly Tennant Moore, on for a conversation. She is an author. She's a top 50 podcaster of The Kelly Show. And she's the CEO of Soulfire, which some of you know is the podcast production company that puts this baby out and into your ears every week. And they've really helped push me and uh, to make the show better and to get something out there that's lighting you guys up that I get your feedback on. So thank you. The reason I wanted to have Kelly on the show is because she really is somebody who's living the rebel soul principles. She's living soulbatical. She is the model that authenticity is the truest form of rebellion. She's been on an incredible journey, a really profound journey for the past three years. She was somebody who had that picture-perfect lifestyle, you know, the picture-perfect life from the outside. 
you know, former all-star volleyball player and tall and sexy and beautiful and rose in the ranks very quickly to become a highly sought after sports broadcaster for professional sports on television and, you know, was basically living a life as so many of us can relate to that's on everyone else's terms. I was going to say someone else's terms, but almost on everyone else's terms, that life of people pleasing driven by that not enoughness or I'm not worthy, all of the external validation and compliments and promotions and all the things. And we talk about her journey through chronic illness and sexual harassment and her wake-up calls to come home to herself. And she's been sharing that, living it out loud as becoming herself is unfolding again and again and again. She's learning to come home. She's on this journey of learning to choose yourself, to never abandon yourself, to embrace your knowing and live into your truth, even and especially when it doesn't look like what culture celebrates as quote unquote normal or what you know our, our parents and society told us was taboo as we were growing up or not acceptable or not success. I mean, insert X here, right? It's all bullshit. And Kelly's living this beautiful life out loud, has been on this journey for three years and we talk about all aspects. This is about coming home to yourself and spiritual awakening and sexual awakening. And I want to thank Kelly for popping my podcast cherry on going deep into a sexual awakening conversation. And it may not be everyone's thing, but you guys, I promise you hang in there because there is truth in all of it for us or truth in it for all of us, however you want to say it. The whole idea is that there are insights here for what it feels like to come home to yourself, questions we can be asking ourselves and how we can be modeling it for others and give ourselves this permission. So I think this is a beautiful permission slip and invitation as we start to create what we want for ourselves in 2022. So thank you, Kelly, for being a soul sister and such an inspiration for me and giving me and this whole community permission. And I want you guys to take this and run with it, whatever it means for you. Go be your goddamn rebel soul. I love you. Enjoy the conversation. As I was reflecting on having this conversation and what an incredible inspiration you've been as I've watched you become yourself over and over and really live into your truth on so many levels, I thought to a post, thought back to a post that I know you made and I wrote this down. You said something that shook me. You said, it's not that I want to rebel It's that I want to be myself. I'm watching you. God, I'm getting teary now. I'm watching you do that every day. You are inspiring me and probably even more than that, like 
when we see people we love and admire do this, we give ourselves permission to go there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know the way, because we work together, because you're the co-founder of Soulfire, because we met in a beautiful sisterhood community, because we've been on this journey together for a year and I've gotten to know you, you know that when I say rebel, I'm talking about doing exactly what you're doing. This unfolding of rebelling for our truth, not rebelling against what other people are telling us or the people pleaser, all the things that we all have struggled with and been conditioned, but you're so beautifully rebelling for who you really are. Thank you. It's one of the many reasons why I wanted to have this conversation. And I just know that this community, we celebrate people who are being soul models, as I like to call them, like you. So I would love to dig in because I know this hasn't been an easy journey. Like these past three years for you, and I've only known you for a a sliver of this epic journey that you're on and will continue to be on. Can we give a little bit of background, like just a little bit of your background story? Because your transitioning of like this acceptance of choosing yourself, learning to never abandon yourself in this process of becoming. And what I've seen in a short period of time, like city to nature, you know, people pleasing to choosing you right? All even, even just, you know, very traditional definitions of sexuality to what I'm seeing you explore as your truth unfolds. Talk to us a little bit about like the catalyst and what that journey has been for you. Yeah. Wow. All the things. First of all, I want to thank you. Um, takes one to know one. (laughs) Thank you, sister. I received that. Yeah, it's, um, I know you know this, but it's really powerful to be with other women who see you. And on top of that, to really allow yourself to receive in that space. And I had been with strong women in different ways for years and I couldn't take a compliment. I couldn't take support. It was very much you against me. And I have to be better than you because that's how I was raised, that I had to be better than everyone. And it was always a comparison. And that's starting at, you know, probably like five years old in the classroom. And then 10 years old when I became one of the best volleyball players in the country and just continued on and on. And I was a great student and captain of this and cover of this magazine and co-captain at USC and all these things. It was always, how can I be better than you. And now I sit in rooms with the most incredible women, yourself included, and I get to be. I don't have to put on a show. I don't have to fucking even put on makeup. I'm like, right, I mean, I'm sweating through my shirt right now. Oh, t- <laughs> you know, totally, totally. Like, I think I forgot to put on deodorant. I'm like, yeah. okay, who cares? It's the Zoom life. <laughs> I can't smile through the screen. Totally. Um, but it's it's truly like this opportunity that we get to show up as ourselves and we get to be received and we get to be held. And God, I have ugly cried in front of you so many times. And not once did I ever feel judged by anyone. I felt so accepted. 
And so it's this opportunity to rewrite the script and the narrative that I think almost all of us as women have been given. I can't speak for men, but I'm sure it's in their own way, right? And my life was always about pleasing my parents and pleasing my elders and pleasing my teachers. And how can I get on a a pat on the back? How can I be validated? How can I be better than everyone else and be the A student? And I never wanted to disappoint anyone. If I felt like I disappointed people, I would fully melt down. I'm talking tantrums and crying and freaking out because that meant death to me. That is what it equated to. You're not good enough. You're not lovable. They're going to leave you. You're nothing. And it is, I mean, it's still in me and it's still something I fight against. And you're catching me on a day when I'm like about to start my period. So I'm feeling real insecure and I'm like latching onto my husband, like a little tiny monkey on his back. Like, tell me you love me. Tell me that when I get pregnant, you're not going to leave me. And he's like, oh my God, I'm going to kill you. Um, So it's still there and it comes up in these moments. Yeah. But what I've realized is in the living for everyone else and in the constant sense of not enoughness is I never lived for me. I never did what I wanted. I never asked myself, what do you want? What do you feel? And it's taken me a long time to get to a point where I can advocate for myself, where I can express myself and where I'm not doing things to prove you wrong or to show you. It's, this is who I am. And if you don't like it, that's okay. Maybe I'll take it personally sometimes. But for the most part, I just, I don't know. Maybe this is like my age coming into play. I'm almost 34. I don't think your 20s, you have any fucking perspective. I'm sure you agree with that. Of course not. Yes. It's like each decade you're like, oh, got it. I didn't know anything. Okay. So I'm like about to be 34 and I'm married now. And I'm about to start, you know, trying to become a mother. Yay. Yay. And my perspective now is I'm not for everyone and we're all on our own paths. And so it's not about comparison because my life looks radically different than yours. And I really, I'm a very spiritual person. And I really believe that before we come here and enter our human bodies, we choose this based on whatever karma or lessons or experiences we need to have for our soul's involvement. And so I know that I'm on this path, whether it's sexual expression, running a company, being in this partnership, all of that for my own soul's lessons. And you're doing something different for yours. So I can't judge you because you're doing what you're meant to do. Even if that looks super fucked up sometimes and you make mistakes, I can't sit here and be like, well, Shelly, you shouldn't do that. Or wow, Kelly, what's wrong with you? Because we're learning the lessons. However, we're going to learn the lessons. So I feel like that's kind of how I got here. <laughs> and we're not we're not playing in the arena if we're not playing big enough to make mistakes and learn the damn yeah. lessons, right? So that's also something I take away. So I want to rewind for a second and you talked about like this knowingness. And as I follow you as I get to know you as we've ugly cried and been in the just the 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 mess the beautiful mess of humanity and our souls together. You talk about the knowingness. And I'm curious, in the journey you just described, a big part of that awareness is connecting to 
who you are, knowing who you are, understanding your truth. What was the catalyst for you of even re-energizing that connection? I'm saying that those are my words, but that's what it was for me. It's like, I woke up and went, fuck, I'm completely disconnected from my soul, my essence, my truth. And my journey has been reconnecting and it is a forever journey. What was that for you? Like, how did you reconnect with that knowingness that is guiding you? That is your truth today and helping you to not always conform to the people pleasing and what society wants us to do or what quote unquote, normal, which is bullshit, looks like. Yeah. So I had two very distinct experiences that were my catalysts. Um, the first one, I used to be a TV host and reporter for the Dodgers and the Lakers in Los Angeles. And there was a guy that I worked with. If any of your listeners know Oral Hershiser, he's a legendary Dodger pitcher. Yeah. And he was one of my colleagues. And he took care of me like I was his niece. Like he just loved me and helped me and, you know, would tell me what to say when I didn't know something baseball-y and, <laughs> and he was just incredible. And I respected him and revered him so deeply. And he came to me one day and I was wearing this dress and he asked me why I was wearing this dress. And I said, well, it's my Sunday best oral. It's, I love this dress. And he just asked me again, why are you wearing that dress? And I didn't know what to say. I'm like, I feel like this is a rhetorical question, but it's oral. So I need to obviously listen. And I sat with that question for about a week. And I finally realized that all I cared about was the clothes I was wearing, how tight they were, how many guys would talk to me and look at me and tell me how hot I was. And I had become like this Barbie doll of my own life. And that's all I was ever really given any feedback on was how I looked. Even I remember this is a total tangent, but this is interesting. I went for a meeting one day with this huge executive, and um, she was one of the only female executives I ever was around. She said, um, "I'm going to watch your tape, but I'm going to turn off the sound because no one cares what you're saying." And I was like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> really glad yeah. I'm getting voice lessons and doing all these things when you just want to see how I look." And so that's kind of what shaped me as a 21-year-old in television and continuing on. I was 25 when I got the, the Lakers job, 27 when I got the Dodgers job and did not deserve to be in either of those roles. I didn't really know that much, but I was good looking and people like to talk to me. You knew how to play the game. I did. I was amazing <laughs> at it. Oh, dear God, I was so good. And I finally was like, oh, like I have no value or worth in my own head for myself in this world. All I see is this hot girl. And that's when I was like, I don't even recognize myself. What is happening? So that was the first catalyst. I was like, I can't live like this. The second one was after I had an abortion. It was my awakening because I realized how powerful I was to get pregnant and to create a life and to do it for all the wrong reasons and to yeah. be so out of alignment and so out of integrity in my relationship, in my work, in my life, how I was operating so disconnected. And I was in Tulum for a week after, and I was by myself and I, I tore through the paper writing and journaling about how angry I was angry at 
my ex-boyfriend, angry at myself, angry at my life, just so angry. And I, I was literally tearing holes in this paper and I threw it all away. And I finally got to a point where I could journal just what I wanted in my life. And it looked so differently than the way I was living. And that was my aha moment where I cannot live like this anymore. There has to be something else. So those were my, my two moments. All of that language is so familiar to me, right? We get to these places and I know the rebel souls in this community feel this. Some of you are still in this, that we go, is this all there is? Like I've been taught to strive for all the accolades and the attention and the promotions and the money and the things and so much of what you described. And then you go, right, I'm angry and or I'm empty and or, right, I'm living someone else's dream. All of those things I can relate to like that, the is this all there is moment. I'm really curious as you were like, you know, in your anger, like shredding those pages into loom, what were your big ahas about the life you wanted to live? And are some of those that you wrote down that day, some of what I'm seeing in your becoming? Mm, Great question, Shell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I asked for Connor and we're married (gasps) two and a half years later. Oh my God. I have full body goosebumps. I just shrieked in everybody's ears, but I literally have full body goosebumps. And he was not in your life at the time. I didn't know anything about him. Never heard of him. We met. I found him on Instagram, I think a month later. No, not even. I found him. I think it was a week after. Um, Yeah, it was about a week later and I was heading into my first ever ayahuasca ceremony and I found his podcast because he had talked a lot about that at the time and and we connected on Instagram and then he played a huge role in my integration after ceremony and we've basically been together ever since. But that was one of the things is I realized how much I was settling in my life. I'm a manifester in human design. I know how powerful I am. When I speak things out, they happen. That's just kind of how my life has worked. Not that it's all butterflies and rainbows, let's be real, but that's just what happens. And I really believe that I wanted to be a mom so badly that I brought a baby in this world to show me how much my world was out of alignment. I was willing to be with the wrong guy in the wrong scenario, in the wrong job, in the wrong city in order to have this thing that I just so badly wanted. And it gave me purpose and love and whatever at the time, but it was, it was just so off. And I finally saw that on those pages. It was like, why are you longing for these things that are not meant for you? Why are you forcing things to be a certain way? Just so you can accomplish it. Like I have the man, I have the baby. And I finally realized that I had to stop living based on these timelines and goals and achievement, like getting married and having a baby are not like gold star achievements. It's not like, congratulations, you've made it. No. So I finally was like, my life is not about achievements. My life is not about all the money I make, you know, the TV channel that I'm on, the fancy car that I have. Okay. But what is it about then? And that's when I realized I had to rewrite my life. I had to recreate it from the ground up. Everything had to go. I left my job of 13 years of being in TV. I broke up with my boyfriend. I met this new guy. I started doing ayahuasca. 
I had this whole spiritual awakening and I had no fucking clue what I was going to do, but I just knew this feels a lot better than what I've been doing for the last 29 years. So I kind of just have to follow it and trust at this point. It is the surrender. I get asked this question all the time too. And I love hearing you say this because people are like, how did you work up the courage to leave your job at the peak of your marketing career? And you just describing leaving, like being very successful, leaving a 13 year job, you know, you had all the things, right? So how do you answer that question when people ask you, like, how did you take that first step forward? Because it's fucking hard. But at the same time, it's like, I know how I felt. How I felt was like, I knew I was 46 at the time. And I knew if I turned 50 and still felt this way, I was going to live a very, very short, unhappy life. I had been suicidal multiple times in my life. And I knew that if I continued on, I would not survive. Yeah, I had chronic illness for 14-ish years. And I think that my chronic illness was all linked to me living for other people and living out of alignment. My body was constantly screaming at me. And when I finally quit, I healed. When I walked away from all this toxic crap, men sexually harassing me, bosses telling me I'm not pretty enough, you know, blah, blah, blah. Leaving a relationship that wasn't healthy and for me, my body healed. And I wasn't depressed anymore. And I didn't want to be gone. So I think that I just, whenever people ask me this, I have to be honest. I had money when I left my job. So I wasn't, you know, trying to come up with money to pay for groceries. I had money. So I was very fortunate in that way. So I know that not everyone has that uh, ability. But my question back always is, what are you willing to put up with? Is it worth it to you to stay in this hell? Or is it worth it to you to try something new, to step out into the unknown? Because they might both suck, but at least this other unknown thing has other opportunities. Your hell is pretty much the same cycle over and over again. And it's going to run you into the ground one way or another. Are you willing to do that to yourself? And our bodies always tell us the truth. Whether we choose to listen or not is a whole different story. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me that you were experiencing chronic illness and then your body starts to heal itself. We store that trauma in our bodies. Yeah. And as somebody who tried to take her own life 12 years ago and who survived, and I'm so grateful every day that I survived to go on this journey and understand my work in the world and my purpose and have conversations like this and tell people like, invest in the possibility of your future self, please invest in the possibility of being truly successful, not success empty. And you're a, you're a living example of that. And you not only survived, but you thrived and you went Mm. on to teach others and to show others. And that really, to me is the gift. I remember, I I didn't know that about you and I can't remember which podcast episode I listened to you um, share that on, but I was, I was so moved and I still am because that's a rock bottom, right? Like we have our rock bottoms and that's really scary. And I also believe that in those moments, we still have choice and you made a choice and you're here and you continue to make choices to thrive. 
and to show up for your life. And we just talked about this yesterday. Sometimes you just throw shit in the air and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. And this is a little scary, but you're still showing up. You're still here. You still give yourself the opportunity to make a new choice and to reroute and to create your reality. And that is what I feel I have done is I made new choices for myself and I created a reality for myself that feels healthy and expansive and exciting and curious and fun and playful. And that's not what I had. And I knew that if I kept just cycling there, that's not something that I could have done because I didn't even believe in choice. I thought I was just like a victim of all circumstance. Now I'm like, I'm in power and control and I get to make choices and I am surrendering and I am showing up and I am creating constantly. I'm creating for myself and for my life. And that is why I have the life that I do and why I am happy Mm. and why I get to continue to show other people that this is possible. You can get out of your cycle. You have to choose for yourself. No one is going to save you. No one is going to save you. And that, I mean, that goes right back to what I said at the beginning. I mean, I watch you. I am so incredibly in awe of you because you're making these choices that are your truth that are maybe different from what how we were raised and what society says is normal or not normal and all those bullshit terms, right? And I watch you do this. I watch you choosing you. And you said something really important, which is not only are you choosing you and you're showing the rest of us how we can do this and be playful and pleasure ourselves and follow our truth and fucking break the mold, right? Just break the mold. You're also sharing all of it with us. You are letting us in to your world, your journey of becoming again and again, right? Like we were talking before we started recording, like I've watched you go like city to nature, right? And like being the contortionist people pleaser, like you described to choosing you in the most powerful way possible. And in ways that are helping to wake the rest of us up to go, oh my God, am I just on autopilot? in certain parts of my life. And I admitted to you and the exercise we did yesterday as a soul fire podcast community that, you know, you asked us a series of incredible, incredibly insightful questions. And one of them was like, what are three topics that you've been really scared or that you haven't covered in your podcast or discussed in your podcast out of fear? And I thought, God, how funny that question is coming up on the eve of you and I having this conversation. And I think going deep into sexuality has been one that I maybe didn't even admit until yesterday that maybe I was fearful. Maybe I was trying to toe a corporate line, right? And not truly leaning into my rebel soul and my truth and So I'd love to explore that a little bit with you because I think about, okay, so you manifest Connor, you know, you're raging on those pages, you manifest this incredible guy who is now your husband and your, your fur baby daddy and soon to be your baby daddy and like all the amazing things. 
And I've watched this sexual awakening and blossoming and I'm learning from you, especially as I step into a new relationship and really just let myself surrender into the pleasure and what I want and all of that. Can you I guess, talk a little bit about like somebody who was like, when I first met you, you were like, yeah, three years ago, I had just like a big pole up my ass. And then I love watching you today. And you're like, and a woman is sitting on my face. And I'm like, I fucking love you for going there because it's your truth and for sharing it with us. It doesn't matter if it's my truth or not. I'm learning from you. And it's a permission slip for all of us. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'm happy to pop your sexuality cherry on (laughs) I love you for so many reasons. And let's just add that to the list. (laughs) Here we go, baby. Here we go. You know, I had had some drunken tequila, seal up, make out nights with girls in college and right after and never thought anything of it. And then when I, after I had my abortion, broke up with my ex-boyfriend, I was like swearing off men. I was like, fuck this. I hate men. They're the worst, right? We all got to go through that phase. Yep. But then I said that to Connor when we first started, I don't even think we were dating. We were kind of talking and he, he made a comment about me liking girls. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Because I didn't say that's not true. So I sat with that for a while. And probably a month or so into us dating, we moved very quickly. Homie moved in with me like six weeks after we started dating. I did Um, not know this. Love this. And then we moved to Colorado and bought a house six months later. And then we started Soul Fire. It's hilarious. Uh, Not recommended for everyone, but here we are. It worked. Um, You know. You, it's, you know, being, I am guessing, no, I'm not guessing. I know being connected to your knowing in the way that you are. And that channel is clear, you know, yeah. but you couldn't have known before in your other world when you were looking outside for everything. No, That's powerful. No, no. Yes. hundred percent. You're totally right. And so I came to him and I knew that he had been in an open relationship community in Austin, hadn't really been in an open relationship per se, but kind of had like dabbled in and was around a lot of people who were very into that. And so I knew he wouldn't judge me for anything that I brought to him, which felt really safe. And so I said to him, I'm having these feelings and these thoughts, and I'm not really sure what to do with them, but I'd like to talk to you about them. And so we had this whole conversation around me feeling attracted to women and turned on by them and really confused. And I don't know what to do with that. Um, And so we just started to be in conversation around that over the next six months or so. And we ended up having a threesome with one of my really good friends. And it was super safe. And I highly recommend if that's your first time doing it that way. Because for me, that was the best. Um, And I realized then I was like, oh, I very much like this. And it wasn't just about the sexual aspect of it, although that's super fun. For me, being with women has really been a catalyst for my own opening to myself. There's, There's no comparison in men and women. Like a man can't give you what a woman can. Like it's just apples and oranges. And so being with Connor is one experience and I love it and it's amazing. It's my favorite. Being with a woman is being held and seen and mirrored in a way I've never experienced with a man. And 
I felt, and I still feel like every time I am with another woman, I get a deeper glimpse into me. And I am less judgmental of myself and I love myself more and I feel deeply connected to myself. And there is a sensuality and a slowness and a juiciness with women that you don't get with men. That feminine touch, being held by a woman, feeling like you can ask for what you want in a way that only a woman would understand. Yeah. It's like, it's a different level of sisterhood. And so it has been the most profound opening for me because of that. And it's also been the most profound because it's brought up every insecurity you could ever imagine ever. <laughs> I, I believe oh, that. Like abandonment wounds. Whoo. I have really had to work through that. And Connor and I still have these conversations because we're human and I get insecure about being left. I get insecure that he's going to like her boobs more than me. I get insecure that she's going to be more fun than me. Like you name it, of course. But I've gotten to this point where it has deepened our relationship and our communication. And we have to talk about everything to make this work, which has really allowed for us to be more intimate together and have more fun sex without anyone else. Um, and so it's taught me so much about who I am and the parts of myself that I was scared of, the parts of myself that I wouldn't let out. And I remember Connor said this really profound statement to me. I was having a meltdown. It was probably three or four months after I had admitted I liked girls. And I was pacing around the house and I felt like I had been taken over by a demon. It was the weirdest feeling. I've never had it before. Just this moment. And I was trying to pull my hair out of my head. Like I was having a full on freak out. And I'm like, there's a voice. There's a voice in my head. And it keeps telling me I'm disgusting. And it's telling me I'm wrong. And I'm not allowed to do this. And I'm disappointing my parents. And I just kept hearing this demonic voice. And he helped me get through that. And I calmed down and he finally looked at me and he said, you need to let yourself feel what you want to feel. And I was like, what? I had never thought of that concept, never engaged with it. It was like, oh, you feel something? Push it down. Yeah. <laughs> that's all that's I knew how we're conditioned. Exactly. Yeah. And so I sat with that and I continue to go back to that anytime I feel judgment come in, which is programming and how I was raised. And I think I get to let myself feel how I want to feel. And if that means that I want a girl sitting on my face, then that is how I feel. And I'm going to be honest about it. And if that means that, you know, I get to speak up and ask for something in my life that is totally non-sexually related, I get to do that too. And it has really allowed me to be more of myself and to ask for what I want and to be more just sure of who I am yeah. and more curious. I've always been a no girl. I always have to say no before I say yes. I've never been adventurous. I am not a spontaneous person. And this experience has changed me because it has taught me to trust myself and to trust my partner. Connor's always right. And it is literally the most annoying thing ever. But whenever he says, hey, we should do this thing. I have had to learn to trust him because he's always right. I always have so much fun and it feels so good. And so it's just, it's really, it's been the most expansive experience in every way. 
It's another layer of surrendering everything that you're describing, right? Because we spend so much of our life like white knuckling the steering wheel, believing that we have control. Yeah. Isn't that cute? (laughs) Or not. Right. Like when you realize it's like, wow, that's really fucked me up in some pretty profound ways. And you let go. And then you feel like you said, the expansiveness of your life. You feel the joy you feel like you used the word playful earlier. And as I was thinking about this conversation, I literally wrote down in my notes, you remind me to be playful. When I listen to you, when I read you, when I watch you, when I'm in community with you, you have like, you can hold the gravity and hold the space and be playful. And you remind me of the and we can be both. And it's so powerful. Thank you for saying that. Cause I do not consider myself playful. You know, it's so funny. This is such a, this is such a good thing to talk about to we have these stories about ourselves that we get so caught up in. And it's so, this is why receiving and being open to receiving is so important by people, especially that you trust and respect. Listen to how people reflect you back to yourself because I would not give myself credit for being a playful person because I still see myself as this really tightly wound, intense 12-year-old version of me. It's hard to see myself as a playful person. I always say this to Connor. I'm like, oh my God, she's going to be more fun than me. And he's like, you're so fun. I don't know why you keep saying this. And I just, it's really hard to see myself that way because all I know is this other version of me. Yeah. So it's so These are the bully loops. I call them the bully <laughs> loops, like those narratives that are still in our head after all of these years and after all of the work in the spiritual and sexual awakenings, all the things, they're still there. The great news is we catch them sooner, right? You, you've described a couple of experiences where you're like, oh yeah, I hear that thing again. There are those voices. They're going to tell me those things again, but that awareness is powerful right? Because they're not going to forever go away. We can sometimes dim them or just, you know, just catch them a little bit earlier before we completely unravel. (laughs) Yeah. It's permission to ask ourselves what we need in that moment. Why is this coming up right now? Usually when I'm beating myself up or being insecure or doing that, it's because I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not doing my self-care. I'm not having my quiet mornings alone. I'm not connecting with my girlfriends. I'm not doing those things that fill me up. Because when I'm full, I'm like, I couldn't care less what Connor says to me. I wouldn't never worry about him leaving. I would never think anything bad about myself because I'm so full and I'm so taken care of by myself that anything I get beyond that is just filling it to the brim and beyond. But when I am empty and I'm coming from an empty place, I'm like, I'll take anything. Give me shit. Give me mean things, whatever it is. I just got to fill this Fill up. that fucker up. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, but you don't have to do that. So I always ask myself, okay, what do you need right now? And I think that that's a really important conversation we have to have with ourselves. It is. And it's reminding me, I can't remember if I wrote this in my notes somewhere, but you wrote, I think it was called welcome to being with yourself. Is that like a poem? You wrote 
something so, I mean, I've used the word profound a number of times in this conversation and I'm not even apologize for it. It was one of the single most profound things I've ever read. I guess I would call it a poem. I would call it, it was just this beautiful, how hard, like articulation from the soul of how hard it is to be quiet and sit with ourselves. And I don't have it pulled up right now, but I'm so curious. I, I'll, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. And I can tell that you remember writing this. Like, yeah. talk a little bit about that because it's so fucking hard. And yet it is one of the master keys to exactly what you just described, to us feeling full and choosing ourselves and not abandoning ourselves. Yeah. Um, well, I wrote that when I was on mushrooms a couple months ago in my backyard. Oh. I do my best writing on mushrooms. <laughs> I love um, it. So mushrooms for me really helped me see my own bullshit and get out of my own way. And they make me see life in a really funny way. It makes me laugh at my seriousness. It's like, oh my God, you're hilarious. <laughs> like sometimes I'll just start giggling. And I don't do a lot. I, I microdose. I do very small yeah. amounts. I use it therapeutically. And it's a really beautiful experience for me. And that day, I remember exactly where I was. I was on a blanket on the grass in my backyard. And I all I could hear was birds chirping. And the leaves on the trees and everything, if you've never done mushrooms, is amplified. Yeah. And it's like, you can hear like a, a ant crawling through the grass a mile away. Like, that's what it feels like. And I was sitting there and I'm looking around and I just start laughing. And I'm like, oh, this is what it's like to be with yourself. Like, you hear these random things amplified and you, you can hear your thoughts. Like, I could hear my thoughts like on a loudspeaker. And the old me would have been so scared because I have spent my whole life drowning myself out with other people's thoughts and beliefs and stories and noise and music and doing and achieving and blah, blah, blah. And here I am in my dream house with my dog sitting outside and all I hear are leaves and birds chirping. And I just found it to be so funny because we're so scared of ourselves. It's the thing we're the most scared of. We're not scared of anyone else. We're not scared of anything. We're scared of ourselves. It's why we don't do the work. It's why we start the program on January 1st and stop seven days later, because we're fucking scared of what we're going to uncover. We're scared of our own truth and our own knowing, because that means we have to face it. And God forbid we see who we really are. It's easier to avoid and distract. It's easier to cover everything up with different noise so that we can't even hear ourselves. And I just, I found it to be hilarious that day because I was so comfortable being with myself. Finally, I thought, oh, I really like this. It's very enjoyable. I can hear birds for the first time. I'm not drowning out all of my thoughts with yeah. crap. Well, or, and you and I have had this conversation and this might be a beautiful way to bring this home. You and I have talked about, you know, our habit of numbing mm -hmm. or former habits of numbing. Right. And I'll admit right now, I, I, I have been having a little wine lately. And so I'm kind of having a lot of conversations with myself, but you and I have talked about being sober curious. And so I'm, I'm curious, how did that come into your journey? Because it seems like for you to truly come home and have that moment on mushrooms in your backyard and go, I'm finally good with this. 
this feels like home because it is sobriety, I'm guessing, played a role in that. Yes. I too have been drinking. Um, I'll get to that in a second. But I decided January 1st of this year that I wasn't going to drink. Um, and I had been abusing alcohol last year. Um, my mom died last year. Our puppy died in a tragic accident last year. Um, our company almost fell under when COVID hit. Um, you know, it was, it was super stressful like for everyone. And one day I poured myself a drink and it was about 2 p.m. And I poured it in a copper glass so that Connor couldn't see that I was drinking whiskey. And he didn't find out about that until I shared it on the podcast. And he was like, Jesus Christ. And I said, yeah, it's a really shameful moment for me. Not something I wanted to share with you. But that's the moment I knew that things had gotten out of hand and that I was numbing. And I understood why I was numbing and I was in therapy and I was doing all the right things, but I couldn't handle my life. And I, with all of the the coping mechanisms and the support and the friends and everything, I was still like, it's 2 p.m. and I don't know how I'm going to get through the day. And I wasn't someone who would drink like a bottle of whatever a day. And that's part of the problem. It's almost like... I'm not an alcoholic, so I don't want to make anyone feel bad. So take this with a grain of salt, but this is your journey. Yeah. It's, it's terrible because I was drinking every single day, but it was two or three glasses, right? So you could justify it. I'm like, Mm -hmm. Oh, it's just two or three glasses of wine. No, you're drunk to some capacity every single day. And oftentimes before five Mm o'clock and you're tapping out of your life. And you're not here and you're not present. And both my parents, my mom definitely was an alcoholic and my dad struggled with alcohol as well. And I know that it's in my family and I know that numbing is a thing. And I was like, I cannot do this. We were also starting our IVF journey. And I thought I cannot take this into this year when I'm trying to get pregnant. So I was sober for six months and it's the best decision I ever made because it really forced me to look at my relationship with alcohol and my life and pinpoint the areas of where I was numbing and why and reprogram grabbing for that glass every day. Yeah. And I had my first drink after that, the night we got engaged in Kauai. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. And we, we had a bottle of wine and pizza and we did this whole thing and it felt so good because I thought, I'm not using this to numb. I'm using this in celebration. I'm having an experience and I'm not drunk by any means. I'm here. I'm so here for this. And so that's been my experience ever since then is I've been able to reevaluate my life and my relationship with alcohol and everything, food, sugar, caffeine, all the things so that I can remember that I am in choice. I am not a slave to this thing. Yeah. It doesn't own me. It doesn't control me. And I don't need it to get through life because if I'm having a bad day or something's going on, I'll go get in the bath or I'll go take time away or I'll call a friend. Those are the ways that I fill myself up. Pouring a glass of wine doesn't fill me up. So, Well, we convince ourselves for a long, long time that it does, right? As I did the work, same, very similar thing, seven and a half months. 
And I realized in the work I was doing around my relationship with alcohol, that every time I was pouring myself the habitual glass, followed by another glass, followed by another glass of wine, it was in search of love and connection and belonging. Mm -hmm. When you start to distill it down to like, why have I created this habit that I'm mindlessly doing? Well, there are other ways to find love and connection and belonging. You just described a number of them. Connection with self, call a friend, go for a walk, be in nature. Like all these things I've now learned as kind of my substitutes for a habitual, you know, pouring of the glass, which never ends at one glass, right? Or never ended, I should say, at one glass. Yeah. But well, that's really also, powerful. Yeah. And I, I it's funny because as you're talking, I made this correlation. I always equated drinking to me being fun mm-hmm. because I have this story that I am not fun. Yeah. And I learned in the six months, I'm really fun. Like I can have so much fun socially without drinking and then I feel good. And luckily here, a lot of our friends don't really drink. And so it's easy. It doesn't feel socially awkward. We make mocktails. We do all this stuff. People are pregnant left and right over here. So it's like easy to not drink. Yeah. And I don't feel like I have to have that second drink to be socially capable. I'm like, oh, I can totally have a great conversation and everything's good. And that was a really great lesson as well, because it reminded me, you don't need this to have value or worth in relationships or social settings. It's There's so much truth in that. And it's very similar. My experience was also like, wow, I am actually more fun and I have more fun and I'm better company when I'm not three glasses into it. Yes. Period. End of story. And I would have never believed you. I would have called bullshit all day long a year ago, all day long. And it feels really good to know that because I think that is part of reconnecting with our worthiness and our enoughness because we tell ourselves these fucking stories that we need something else to make us whole and enough and fun and playful and good company. Like how disturbing is that? So disturbing. And the other thing that I want to reflect for people who are maybe kind of on the fence and realizing that they need to reevaluate their relationship with alcohol is look at some of the things that happen when you drink. Do you get angry? Do you pick fights? Do you cry? Do you get headaches? Do you feel crappy the next day? Like these are all signs that your body is trying to give you. It's not just, oh, it's the sugar or, oh, it's this. No, alcohol brings up suppressed emotions. I started getting really angry when I was drunk and I would pick fights with Connor out of nowhere. He didn't do anything. And I realized that I had all this anger that I wasn't dealing with on a daily basis. And when I drank, it brought it to the surface, but I couldn't put a name to it. I couldn't understand it because I was drunk. Yeah. So if that is where you are and you're feeling anything like that, take a step back and evaluate What is it that you're not dealing with? What emotions and experiences are you suppressing to protect yourself that you actually get to bring forward to deal with in real sober life so that even if you do have a glass of wine, it doesn't make you this angry bitch who is screaming at her partner, right? We don't have to be angry having a glass of wine, but you have to deal with your shit. Yeah. And this is, you know, again, like you said earlier, it's like looking ourselves in the eye, looking ourselves in the mirror. This is the hard fucking work. Alcohol makes it easy to kind of go, I'm just going to avert my gaze this way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, But you're just pushing it down the line. 
It's going to show are. up. It's kicking the can for sure. And yeah, I am, I am um, in the process of still redefining my relationship, but it is fundamentally different than what it was a year ago. And I'm going to keep, keep doing the work around it, but I love you. Thank you for sharing that. And you know, I mean, I could talk to you every day, all day about all the things. And maybe this is part one of a many part series coming up in 2022. Um, but you really, truly, I mean, one of my favorite phrases from the book is authenticity is the truest form of rebellion. And I feel like that is who you are and so much of who you be and what you're teaching in the world and reminding us all that it is absolutely possible. And it's not only possible, it's really fucking fun and fulfilling. It is. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Where can, where can all my peeps find you as they're going to want to go deep down the Kelly rabbit hole? Yes. Um, so on Instagram, I'm at Kelly T Moore and, um, our website is soulfireproductionsco.com and yeah, all the places. And I am so honored to be a Soulfire Productions part of the family, a pod host, a sister to you and somebody who is learning from you every day. And I love that we got to scratch the surface and pop my fucking sexuality cherry on the (laughs) podcast. So this is all good, sister. It was everything I had hoped for and more. So thank you for joining me and Rebel Souls, if you ever needed a reminder to stay bold, brave, and badass, Kelly is your chick. She's our people. So until next week, my friends, Kel, thanks so much. I love you. Thank you, Shell. I love you too. And we'll be back next week, you guys. Bye. Hey, Rebel. Thanks for listening. If you were inspired by what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review so our fellow Rebel Souls can find us. We have big work to do together. And if you want to dive deeper, head on over to my website at sylbatical.com and follow me at sylbatical on Instagram. Until next time, stay bold, brave, and badass, and never stop asking, what am I rebelling for?